tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Beans and Jello for supper. Breaking arms and swamps. A little bitty boy and ten little children. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Hello, and welcome to This Is Vinyl Tap, the podcast where every episode goes to 11. We're coming to you live from the Vinegaroon Saloon in North Central Austin, Texas. The great controversy over Central versus yeah. North has been solved by combining the two. I, I think it's only North Central to somebody who lives in South Waco. I think it's Central North. I think it's North North. And as you can tell, I'm your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, sitting in the host seat tonight. As usual, I'm joined by our host, Doug Cooper. Tonight, I'm the non-host, Doug Cooper. <laughs> and our co-host, Tony Slagle. Hello, everybody. And tonight, we're going to turn our attention to a 1995 release by a band. I guess you could call them an alternative country band. That's a label that slapped on them, yeah. yeah I think yeah. we say alt. Yes. Alt country. <laughs> the band we're talking about tonight is a band from the uh, Twin Cities area, and that is the Jayhawks. And... Um, as we usually start off on these podcasts, uh, we ask the person that picked this album uh, to comment on why they picked this album. And tonight, you might have guessed, Tony picked this album. So, Tony... If you didn't guess this was Tony's pick, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Tony. Yes, Jam. You picked this album tonight. So, why did you pick this particular album well, so, you know, Doug always talks about albums that come out of nowhere. That's what intrigues him. Oh, this album came out of nowhere, and it's, it's fascinating. Um, I don't mean to be dismissive. It is fascinating. But uh, I seem to, to gravitate towards albums that mark a particular period in a band's time, either a debut, uh, something that might represent a sea change, uh, the last album of a particular lineup or a particular person in it. Mm -hmm. And that fits with this album tonight. This was the last album. They, they, the Jayhawks reunited later, um, but this is the last album with Mark Olson on it before that Gary Loris took over as the lead guy for more than a decade or so. And then they reunited for one album. Yeah. And, and so I find that fascinating because I've talked about this before. I'm a bit of a side chooser 
And uh, when this band broke up, I shifted over to the Mark Olson side, which is odd because they ended up becoming fairly poppy after he left. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I have anything against the Jayhawks albums after that, but I I just found them less interesting. So there's that. Um, It's also a snapshot in time of this band and what I think is they're at the height of their musical powers, not to sound goofy, but this album is... um, it just really, it is as Jayhawksy as it gets. Um, and we can talk about that more. Um, it's one of those albums that's hard for me to pick a favorite song on. It's a lot like the, uh, it's a lot like um, the uh, Big Star album and that I'll hear a song go, oh God, I love that song. It's great. And then the next song comes up and I forget the last one I listened to because that song is is my favorite. Um, I also have a real soft spot for bands that have, two vocalists that have sort of a distinct style of their own, but when they come together, they create this sound that is the, you know, where the whole is bigger than the parts. And this also is one of those bands. So that in a very big nutshell is why I picked this album. Um, This uh, jam, this album has many Tonesian qualities. It does. It has, uh, guitar arpeggios it does in abundance yep it has that uh semi country semi rock thing going on it does very very much. uh very accessible tunes um that's true as well yeah pop sensibility it is uh I, it's in the stream of things we've talked about before uh i, I find it downstream from uh, sweetheart of the rodeo yes and uh, it's not far from big star well it's and funny that rhymed <laughs> it's funny you say that because i read something over the last week that i thought was really spot on it said this this band in particularly this album is the birds meets big star <laughs> and i was like oh that makes perfect sense it makes great sense i think i wrote that by the way <laughs> the i don't birds. know if it's conscious but I don't think it's conscious, but uh, it, hear the big star influence. I hear there's a band that was very popular at this time in the underground scene called The Replacements that were actually from the same area. Mm-hmm. Big Star was a huge influence on the replacements, and I'm wondering if that kind of permeated. They were probably playing the same shows. Well, I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because this band, as odd as this is, because I think in the public consciousness of people who know about this band, I don't. I think most of them would be, unless they're huge, super diehard fans, would be surprised to know this band started as early as they did. And when they when they started their first album, which was nineteen eighty five, eighty five, yeah, yeah, um, or maybe it's eighty six. It was eighty six. The yeah. Jayhawks album. Mark Olson sings lead on every track. sings harmony some but that album is a country album like nothing else they did after that we should point out something uh now that we're talking about countryness 
When you said Twin Cities, mm-hmm. you did not mean Dallas-Fort Worth. <laughs> we met Minneapolis-St. Paul. Right. So they're in Minnesota. Yeah. But the, they both came from, both Gary Lewis and Mark Olson came from bluegrass backgrounds. Um, so I don't, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, they were obviously aware of the replacements, but I don't think they were as influenced. Cross-pollinating going on. No, but I think what ends up happening as this band progresses is as Gary Loris starts becoming more and more of an influence on their sound, they because he's definitely the pop guy of the two of them. Yeah, they start developing that that sensibility starts intertwining itself with Mark Olson's more kind of traditional, you know, road weary kind of uh, mm-hmm. you know country singer songwriter stuff, and again creating something just pretty remarkable in my opinion. Did this band have a an evolution? Did it move from one of the principles to the other as as uh, we went from the debut album to this album? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the The weird thing about this band early on is so their first album came out in 86. It They only produced maybe 10, 15,000 copies of it, maybe a little bit more um, on a little bitty independent label. I mean, it was pretty much a cowpunk album uh, if you want to talk about what that was in the mid 80s, which was just kind of very country, but played with a kind of a rocky attitude to it. Who else do we put in that category? Jason and the Scorchers. The last time around, I'm the final survivor. If your heart goes down, it's the last time around. I would put in that category. Certainly. Uh, I would put uh, probably the Long Riders to a certain extent, although they were slightly more sophisticated sounding than I think both of those bands at the time. But yeah, so they. But the weird thing is, they don't put out their next album until three years later, um, and it was essentially a, a, a guy who had who was running a, a label called Twin Tone in Minneapolis. Con, guy named David Ayers convinced them to put their demo tapes together to release to release their second album called Blue Earth, which was released in '89. And right away, that album feels significantly different than their first album because it's a little more janglier. Uh, the vocal harmonies are more throughout the songs rather than just on the chorus. Um, the uh, They have that this thing that the Jayhawks seem to really embrace, which is this weird, unconventional song structure. I mean, most, most of their songs don't seem to have fit the first chorus first chorus yeah thing. it is a little bit that's one of the things I've um, there's a lot of pre-choruses in, yeah. in yeah. this album yeah and so and there's also folk and blues and soul music starts to creep in kind of giving it that more graham parsons flying burritos thing that they really yeah I, I can hear the graham parsons flying burrito brothers uh all over their their songs uh, this this album exposed my prejudice in that when I hear this, I say, that sounds like just normal music, which <laughs> means that to me, normal music is this strange grouping of genres. Was it, what did he call it? Cosmic American music? Isn't that what Graham called it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did not know that I had this thing called normal music in my head, and I did not know it fell right here on the, on the spectrum. Well, w- the weird thing about this band is uh, 
they got this, if you want to call it a big break, in 91 they get signed to Deaf American, which we've <laughs> talked about briefly. Well, no, I guess we talked about a little bit more than briefly in the Johnny Cash episode because that was Rick Rubin's label. Yeah. And and the way they got signed to that was weird in the sense that um, the this executive was talking to um, somebody at Twin Tone over the phone and he heard blue earth playing in the background and liked it so much he said i gotta sign this band there are so many times i swear That was George Drick. I don't know how you say it. Drickalius. Yeah, the guy yeah. who ends up producing this this yeah, album in, the, in, in Hollywood Town Hall. So they released their first kind of big break album on Deaf Deaf American, um, and uh, and they start touring. They go out and they open for the Black Crows. Um, they you know they get they get a lot of people are are sort of taking notice of them. They start moving you know moving their sound around a little bit. And when they tour, they add a keyboardist mm-hmm. and, um, and that really, that really helps because they had a keyboardist, a guy by the name of, uh, Nikki Hopkins. <laughs> you know who Nikki Hopkins is, Jim? You want to tell the crowd, the crowd, uh, Nikki Hopkins was a, probably the quintessential session player. He's played with a, a lot of people, uh, probably most notably the Rolling Stones. He played all over uh, Exile on Main Street. You mean Hollywood Town Hall? That one, yeah. But well, they're not responsible. They well, and then and then the other person who plays on Hollywood Town Hall is Ben Tench. Yep. Do you want to tell the tell the folks at home who that is, Jim? Well, Ben Tench is also a quintessential session guy. He, but but he's probably best known as being the keyboardist for Tom Petty, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Right. Um, but he has gone on to just play on numerous albums. And including uh, Stevie Nicks a whole lot. He was her, her kind of go-to keyboardist. Um, he even played with, of all people, Brian Eno. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, but but what's interesting about that is those keyboards add this layer. It opens up this band's sound in a way that they hadn't been before. Yeah. And that's fairly obvious on this album because they end up getting a full-time keyboardist <laughs> to join the band. So yeah. who who all is on this album? Well, I, I don't want to list everybody because there's some people that play on one or two songs, but I will say who's on. So the main makeup, the main sort of band on Tomorrow the Green Grass, which is the, did we tell, talk about that's the album we're talking about tonight? Tomorrow the Green Grass? Um, it's probably not too early to tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so the main people on this are, of course, Mark Olson, He's vocals and guitars. Gary Loris, also vocal and guitars. Mark Perlman on bass, who's been was with the Jayhawks forever. Karen Grotberg on piano, Oregon Woolitzer, background vocals. Mm-hmm. Don Heffington on drums, who 
You don't know who that is? He was a monster session guy. He played with Lil George, Dylan, Emmy Lou Harris, Jackson Brown. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's uh So they didn't have a full time drummer at not this at that point. not at yeah. this point. Um and then a guy named Greg Leitz played he has steel been, guitar. Yeah, he is a renowned uh uh, steel player. He also plays guitar. I've actually seen him play with two bands, one of them being Jackson Brown. He's kind of Jackson Brown's uh, go-to pedal steel player when he can't get uh, David Lindley. Um, that that would be a horrible job to be the <laughs> guy that has to fill in for David Lindley. Yeah, uh, but he's been or he's played with so so many people. Uh, after S- Sneaky Pete, when when Sneaky Pete Cleetow couldn't get. Or when he was booked up, they would usually call, call uh, Greg Zay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, um, so they in between the two albums, um, Hollywood Town Hall and Tomorrow the Green Grass, they toured extensively. They actually played at Farm Aid, which was kind of a big deal. Um, and uh, they also added a layer to this album. of They had strings on some of the songs. And uh, Paul Buckmaster was the guy who arranged the strings. And again, I'm going to ask JM to fill us in on who Again, Paul, he was Paul probably, Buckmaster he was. was the go-to string arranger. He actually had his own, he didn't, he had his own string section that he, he there was no like London, guys from the London Symphony Orchestra. There, he didn't like pull guys from different orchestras. He had his own string section that he would farm out to people and he would arrange, do the arrangements. Um, He's played with Elton, well, Elton John, yeah. uh, the Rolling Stones. He has done so. He's basically, on, yeah, he's on your song, Leave On, Moonlit Mile, yeah, by the Stones, by the Stones, all of Tumbleweed Connection. Yeah, he played the strings on Space Oddity or arranged the strings on Space Oddity. He's on Tiny Dancer, You're So Vain. Yeah, I mean, this guy was this he guy was, was in the seventies. He was royalty. If there was a string section, chances are he was doing it. James Newton Howard may be the only guy that... Um, all, all the had, things that Tony just named have a particular thing in common in that all those songs benefit from the strings and are not ruined by the strings. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> and, and that's not common. That's not common Especially at all. if you're listening to ELO. <laughs> <laughs> that is the a letter that just, just goes on. <laughs> But uh, bef- before we talk, start talking about this album, I-, I I think we need to just take a brief moment and talk about these two guys singing together. And I just want to say, I don't think there's any way else to describe them singing when they sing together, except it's an absolute joy to listen to. It was not lost on. Well, you got, you know, these two guys, Mark Olson, who's a lot more sort of homey mm-hmm. and nasally, and he sings the low end of the stuff. And then you got Gary Loris, who is the sweet pop oriented guy who sings the high end. But man, when they sing together, it's. Yeah. And they I, can hit harmonies that and it's only two parts, too. And it, they, the way that they blend their harmonies together it's almost like the everly brothers it is i mean it's yeah. it's it's as close to sometimes it's as close to blood harmony as you could get without being related yeah um 
it, it's funny because Gary Loris talks about how they just naturally started filling in each other's weaknesses when they would sing. And it, and I, he takes on the lion's share. I guess the high end on Harmony always does because he's dancing all over the place. Yeah. Whereas Mark Olson's typically singing the, the melody. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I just... I, it is It is a thing that uh, is immediately... You can you can appreciate it immediately. In fact, I I was appreciating it before I was aware of what I was appreciating. It was uh, there's something subtle about it. It's not in your face like the eagle. You're right. Are. It's not it, exactly. That's one of the things. Look, look what I can do. Look yeah. what I can do. Is none of that in this? That and is. and I also appreciate uh, Karen. What's her face? Uh, yeah, her she adds. Yeah, her contributions are great on this. Which is, it's a strange thing that that's not more common. It works so well with Fleetwood Mac, and uh, it, it works great here. Grootberg. Yeah. yeah, it's you know the other thing that Jay already mentioned is uh, one electric guitar and an acoustic guitar playing together. These two guys singing together. Well, yeah. it's very nice. And and the funny thing about Gary Loris is he didn't start playing the electric guitar until he got out of college. Yeah, wow. I mean he just he's a late bloomer. And uh, and he's great, I think. I mean, his leads are really. I mean, they add they add stuff to the songs. Um, we're we're going to talk about that. Who do they remind you of? It reminds me of Matthew Sweet's. The leads in that album reminded me of Neil Young. Oh, so you yeah, I can see bar, that. A lot yeah. of distortion. Maybe I was thinking Greg Leash because he's on the Matthew Sweet albums as well, but. Um, well, it's funny because there's a connection to Matthew Sweet in this band that we'll talk about when we talk about the first song. And and uh, the, the guitar leads also reminded me of the loser of one of our album uh, wars, um, Sunvolt. Scott cracks open, the walls falling through the floor. Yeah, uh, I don't believe they lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny is this album we're talking about tonight, "Tomorrow the Green Grass," came out the same year that Trace did. Is that right? And yeah. and and I want to say this about both of those bands and both of those albums. Those albums, th this album, that album in particular. Um, I think the reason they hold such a special place in my heart is while they're that they both fall under that um, label of alt country yeah they transcend that label in a way that other bands don't and i mean wilco transcended it by leaving it behind and going a different direction but the jayhawks at least in this period and sunvolt they were still pretty they're on the spectrum but they do something that's so other than what those other bands were doing yeah um it's just it's remarkable and the other you know, I I blame I I blame grunge for a lot of stuff, but I really blame grunge for bands like this not getting the due they deserve at the time. I discovered the Jayhawks, I guess, around nineteen ninety one, nineteen ninety two. I didn't like them. I'll be just flat out honest with you. I mean, I thought the the tunes were great. I thought they had great harmonies, but the execution to me with this band was just uh just just sort of boring and i say that because at the time i was also hugely into the replacements i was huge into uncle tupelo the 
was always just a little bit of a bite or just a little bit of some dirt in their in their range or the way that they executed their songs that I just this is too this is too sweet for this you. was a little too sweet for me and you know and then when I about this time also I discovered Graham Parsons International Submarine Band and um, there was, it was lacking some sort of emotion that you hear with Graham Parsons when he sings or there's just uh, there like there's almost a reverence with what Graham Parsons was doing when he would even cover songs like streets of bakersfield or he not streets of bakersfield um, streets of baltimore streets of baltimore yeah <laughs> streets of bakersfield is also a great song <laughs> yeah but yeah but when he's covered when he's covered when he's covering baltimore well a man feels proud to give his woman what she's longing for and i kind of like the streets of baltimore i mean that there's just a reverence there that is I just. Or how about do right, man? That is yeah. just from. That's a remarkable that that yeah his, cover version of that. He is, wears his sentiment on his sleeve when when he sings, and I just there was something that I think that I was hoping to hear from the Jayhawks. My guess up. is that you found that on this album because I think this album has that in spades. Personally, it's that soulfulness that. I mean, I do. I think. I think um, they had a lot. I had a big mountain to climb with me on this one. Hmm. Um, and I think that I, as I listened to it more and more, um, I did grow to appreciate it. I mean, I more. could, I could get that on, on what came before it, but they, they, they seem to have turned a corner when this album came out for me. Not, that, I mean, I love everything this band has done, but this album in particular seemed to turn a corner for me. And, uh, I think it has something to do with the fact that Gary Lewis takes on a little bit more of a bleed role. And so the songs become richer because of that. Yeah. Because they, it's, it's this, this, this weird tension between this more straightforward kind of folky country stuff and this guy who wants to polish it up. And that tension makes this stuff really work. And then yeah. you had the strings, you had the piano and the Woolister and all that other stuff. Uh, I have to say that Don Huffington's uh, drumming on this album is remarkable. <laughs> yeah, I got um, notes all over about it. And so, so all of that together, you get this beautiful soup called Tomorrow the Green Grass, in yeah. my opinion, at least. Well, yeah. But before we go into this album, I, it one of the most important things we need to bring up is how absolutely remarkable we are <laughs> in that we scheduled this and... We decided to do it despite current events. And uh, some of you may be separated from this because it takes a while for us to first do the show and then to um, we have to mix it. So it comes out a little later. But last week, the University of Texas uh, had a home game. And oh. <laughs> a basketball school from a place called Kansas. If you'll get out your map, you'll find that there's a bunch of these little squares in the middle of the map of the United States. One of them is called Kansas. Uh, they came down here and they beat the Longhorns uh, in our own five bazillion dollar stadium. <laughs> We have high schools with better stadiums than the Jayhawks have. Yeah, the Jayhawks are the Kansas. That you didn't say. Yeah. That. I'm just. You just. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, they came down here Kansas and Jayhawks. beat us. 
and uh, devastated, ruined our week. Well, but we're continuing to do this uh, because that's the kind of guys we are. <laughs> we don't let names get in the way of, of our podcasts. Nor do we let college kids control our mood. Yeah. <laughs> I will not let college kids control my mood. I did malign the, the, the Jayhawks, and I went back and I, I, I went through some of the reviews going, am I just uh, just out on a limb on this one? And there, there are some, like the album that came before this one was not the most critically acclaimed. Hollywood Town Hall, it was yeah. pretty critically acclaimed. Well, some of the people that, I went back and looked at critics that I like, uh, and they did not give it the, the greatest review. There's this ever. magazine called Rolling Stone <laughs> that gave it five. Yeah. Uh, All Music Guide gave it uh, four and a half. Well, no, this album they did. No, but the no, album I'm before about Hollywood Town Hall. Yeah, that was that was a pretty critically acclaimed album. It looks like it did as well as this one, and this this one did well. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought like it was the gave uh, it, everybody get as close to the top rating as they could without giving it a whole. I thought it was rating. the English patient, English patient of uh, albums at the time because I thought the English patient was one of the most overrated uh, movies ever. But but anyway, that said, I I came into this going okay. Here's my something about Mark Olson's voice just. Did not do it for me. So you hate Graham Parsons too, huh? No, I love Graham Parsons. <laughs> it sound an awful lot alike, if you ask me. <laughs> I think he's an American. <laughs> um, but this album was a. It was a. It, it grew on me. It was. It's one of the first that I, it just didn't hit me right away. I had to listen to it several times, and it, it took me a little while to. Actually, so it's funny. We've had uh, we the XTC was that way for Doug. The uh, John Cale was that way for me, and this one was that way for you. Yeah, this is the first one where I just went into kind of dreading listening to what we were about to listen to. I, I would say that this album was very easy to enjoy from the first listening. Now there is something strange that I noticed about it. Um, the the enjoyment did not increase very much. Um, there, there was sometimes I, I can remember hearing some songs thinking this is garbage, but everybody says it's good, so I'll keep listening. And then I finally go, "Oh wow!" And then I is like that it. like deep, a Yankee deep. Hotel Foxtrot? Um, yeah, a little bit like that. And, yeah. and my my favorite example is um, in the days before rock and roll by Van Morrison. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, God. And what then, is this? Yeah. I, I, I can remember 15 days later, I couldn't stop listening to it. Yeah. So that didn't happen with this album. I started out enjoying it right away. But my enjoyment, this is probably after 20 to 25 listens, my enjoyment didn't increase very much. I, I didn't get uh, emotionally attached to the album like I normally would with some of them. Uh, having said that, I'll tell a little bit about my Jayhawks past. I I used to check out Jayhawk albums from the uh, library and listen to them, and I kept wondering, why doesn't anybody talk about this band? Why why is everything so silent on this band? And I don't know Grunge. that everything was silent yeah. about it, but um, I was really happy when Tony brought it up because I had wanted to do a deeper dive on this band because I could hear merit in those albums that I would check out. 
mm-hmm. but I was I was confused by the lack of attention they received. Well, I and it's probably because they're from that place. I will what Minneapolis? Yeah, I, I will. <laughs> I will people say all about that. I will say Is that this. Canada? No, it's not. No, we got a lot of fans in Canada. I, I will say this about uh, this album Is that. Pro- no, I know <laughs> you're not. Your series, but you never know. Uh, you never know who's listening. Uh, um, I, I will say this about this album. So there may be a, a slight bit of me having some emotional attachment to it because when I bought it, um, I was living in D.C. at the time, and my wife had graduated from graduate school and had gone to Europe by herself for i don't know three weeks maybe what See part her? of europe down in the romance area with those uh guys with accents she went to she went to italy and france oh, no. and, oh there and, you are yep. and uh austria and germany but um no trouble there so i listened to this album incessantly while she was gone um and you know i missed her so i think that had something to do with it but um at the same time uh there's just something about, like I said, when we started, there's something about two guys singing together and making a sound that is just, it just cuts me to the core. Um, and these guys, these guys are what, I mean, there's, I feel that way about, um, about blue rodeo as well. Also a band yeah. with two kind of different type of singers when, they, when sing they sing together, together it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, not quite the same way, but I'd throw the Beatles in there. When John John and Paul, no offense to George, but when John and Paul sing, it's magical, obviously. Falling, yes, I'm falling, and she keeps calling me back again. Falling, yes, I'm falling, and she keeps calling um, me back so again. There's just something about these guys singing, and, and when... When they got back together, when Gary Olson, um, Gary Olson, Mark, Gary, Gary Loris and Mark Olson got back together and did a did an album, just the two of them, they played at South by Southwest, and uh, they played a free show at this place called Joe's Coffee Shop, and uh, and as soon as they started singing, it was I I just want I just almost collapsed in a puddle. It was just incredible, <laughs> um, yeah, and. You know, and I just, I, I don't know. I just, I never, ever, ever had to grow to like this. And when, Doug, when you said it, you didn't grow in appreciation, this is the first album that we've done. I was listening to it pulling up to here today. I, that's how, I, I don't want to stop listening to it. It's been such a joy to listen to. And we actually took a week off, too. So we've been yeah. listening to this for longer than we normally do. Um, well, I do appreciate it, but I feel like... Um, my appreciation started at a very high level and did not I got increase you. very much I got after you. that. That's that's uh, different than not appreciating. Yeah, it. I got so, you. So and and to go on, you know, to go off of what Doug's saying, um I find moments of this album very interesting, especially the harmonies. I mean, I I sometimes the harmonies are just like, Wow, how did you come up with that? That's I wouldn't have come up with that in a million years. But it, it doesn't, most of the album, my attention just started going elsewhere. And it, even like trying to give it hard listens, I would just, it, like, okay. but that said, there was also be times when I would just go, oh, I didn't notice that the first time I listened to this. Um, and I did find some Uncle Tupelo type moments in it. I, and, and, it, it and I got to say, I, 
Uncle Tupelo at the time was probably my favorite band in the world. And these guys, that was a high mark yeah, for them they're, to try they're, to meet. I got you. Trust me, I got you. Um, I, the two things I noticed listening to it the, over this last two weeks that for some reason I never paid attention to was, uh, talked about this already, was the drumming. I was just oh, blown away by how fantastic. good the drumming was. And then how how much the keyboards add to the way the song feels. I'll give I mean, you that it too. just at the, the keyboards, um, they She's are, good. yes. And they're fundamental, they're fundamental to the, um, atmosphere of every song. Well, there's on. things, what she did, there were, there were things that she, I don't think they would have come up with had she not been playing keyboards. I, there's a couple of songs I can just yeah. point to that going, had she not just had a just even like just a keyboard setup that she had, had she right. not had that Wurlitzer, there would have been some of those songs just would have been dogs. But well, I don't know about that. But, <laughs> I know, but they would not have been a bit as interesting. Um, she did a good. She was a very good good ad. To this band. Yep. Yeah. So all right. So that said, uh, do we want to get into the album itself? I think we have to take the plunge. All right. So the first song. On uh, Tomorrow the Green Grass is Blue. And this was a minor hit. And this embodies everything you two were just talking about. Yeah. Um, you've got this, you have two voices. One is making the sound full, and the other one is making it acrobatic. And it's, a, it's, 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 a re- it's like a bass with like this yeah. uh, feather duster coming out of the, and, and, and livening it up. And when they're singing those harmonies and stretching out these notes with one word, you can hear that piano yeah. keeping it interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, can I can I say the thing I noticed that I'd never noticed before about this when the during the first two and this happens on the verses, they're essentially singing the same melody until they hit the word day, and that is when the harmony kicks in. And it's right. such a cool thing when it happens. It does. Yeah, it is. It's some, is. It just seems so, it's just like this, this little, you know, accent, but it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's just simple, but so expressive. And then it, like I said, that follows it through the whole song. And the other thing I, I thought was cool was I never really paid attention to it, but I read, I read about it. So it made me pay attention to it. I just always sing along with it. Over the bridge, they're singing two different parts. That's I right. know that's that's, that's, what, what, that's yeah, what yeah that that makes about. this song. That the, is what you know makes why it. they are because no. neither one of them wanted to give up on what they'd written for the bridge, so they just both sang what they wanted <laughs> to. Well, that ought to happen that, more often. And that I am a sucker for when they do that. Uh, the, we talked about that uh, on the Meatloaf album. I, I'm a sucker for when somebody sings one thing uh, one line and somebody can sing another line yeah. under it and it doesn't intrude and it's no it works together you know, on this it works um, fantastic it's strange on this. it's strange how different and how they fit yeah. so well this song peaked at number 33 which is pretty good for a band like this especially yeah. when nothing like this was being played on the radio you know it was all yeah, blah, 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 and, well, yeah well, i won't just do my no. eddie vetter impression but yeah i mean the the, the the 
the context to this album is is important and i was so anti i was so anti grunge i w- and i was but i was also anti slick so it this um songs like this would just blow i don't past think this me. is that slick I think it's a little bit. I think the whole album's a little bit slick, but that's, whatever. Yeah. Here's an interesting little note, though, that you guys may know about. I didn't know about it, even though this version of Blue got radio airplay. You ever heard of the band called The Thorns? So in 2002, three guys got together: Pete Droge, however you say his name, Sean yeah. Mullins, yeah. and Matthew Sweet. Oh, really? And they put out an album called The Thorns, which was this album based on three-part harmony. Yeah. And they did a version of this song. They did a version of Blue. Beautiful, yeah. Well, it's not as good as the Jayhawks version, but they actually got some radio airplay for it. So it's just weird um, that Matthew Sweet would cover a Jayhawks song. It's just bizarre (laughs) to me. Yeah. But anyway. I don't think that's bizarre at all. So, no. you know, what's funny, uh, Gary Loris, this, so uh, another interesting thing is this album starts off with a Gary Loris song, which is what this is. Um, and he, it's been kind of a curse and a blessing for him because he says he's been chasing this song ever since he wrote it. Cause everybody's like, why don't you write another blue? Yeah. He's like, I, and it's funny cause we've talked about this a lot on this podcast. He's, his response to that is, I don't know where that song came from. Yeah. You know? That is universal with yeah. so many really fantastic is. songs. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Song number two, side one, is I'd Run Away. Ways can I sing it? Very accessible pop tune. Uh, immediately, you you have the the tune in your head. I like the way this one has one guy singing by himself, and then they come together and uh, break apart again. I I, I I I dig it. Well, and it's very dramatic sounding at the beginning too. Yeah, you know? and I'm that's one of the things I'm going to diss on it about. It, <laughs> it it this song seems a little bit disjointed to me i don't i like the way that it it that intro comes in but then it just when it when they go to the outro they use it for the outro i I, to me it's just like why you had a nice you don't need to do that there's no reason i don't know i think there's so much going on in this song and i think it all works i think it's very full and rich sounding i like that about it um it know. sounds like a song that would be predictable, and then it isn't predictable. Yeah. I appreciate well, that. It's also it's also this. It, the, it's got that kind of weird song structure that they. I mean, it's not your typical, you know. Yeah, to me, this song like, like that's what I mean. This song sounds disjointed to me. It doesn't sound like they they just had diff, desperate parts and they were trying to put them together, and it just to me that this song does not is not cohesive. I, I think it's great. I think the sentiment behind it's great. Um, I will. I think this is interesting. Uh, this, the woman who plays the violin and viol on this song, her name yeah. is Lily Hayden. Uh, you know who she is? Can't well, she's, a, she's a session vi- violinist, violist. Violin. Um, <laughs> she. Uh, I just found this interesting. There's a little side, little side note here. 
she got her start as a child actor. She played Columbo's daughter in the in the Columbo series. But she played she accompanied Waters in 2008 at Coachella. On, oh yeah, I on uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, I did hear that. When he, yeah, when they or, when he did, read that yeah. when he did Dark Side of the Moon, she was yeah. she was the viola violinist or whatever. <laughs> this is about a guy uh, who loves this woman, whoever it is. And she does things that makes him question that. But at the end, I think it's kind of cool how it, it initially he says, I run away. And you're like, oh, he's trying to get away. And then he's yeah. like, no, I'll run, I'll run away, away with, with you. you. Right. Oh, I kind of like that. I think. Yeah. Like I said, it's a, the, the lyrics intrigued me quite a bit. And lyric, you, you guys know me. I'm not a lyrics guy. But the lyrics intrigued me. But... Anyway. There's a funny music video to this song where they're on a boat out in the middle of a lake. It doesn't really fit the music. Yeah. <laughs> it's just weird. Anyway. Where'd they find a lake in Minnesota? <laughs> <laughs> that, that must have been tough. Yeah. Moving on to song number three, Miss Williams' Guitar. Miss Williams' Guitar. Miss Williams' Guitar. This is the first Mark Olson song, and this is obviously about his girlfriend at the time. This is the first one I dug right away. Yeah, it's a it's it's a great song. Um, so you know he was dating Victoria Williams. They ended up getting married at some point, but that's who this is about. Um, yeah. She is the she was the subject. Uh, that's probably the wrong word. She was the, the you know the the sweet relief. Remember Sweet Relief yeah. in the early '90s, where they did the. She has thing. MS. She she has MS, and she was the first artist they did a Sweet Relief album for, to help pay for her medical. Um, yeah, she's a recipient. I guess is the word I was looking for. Well, the 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 funny thing about this is this is pretty much all Mark Olson. Gary Gary Lewis has said, you know how we talk a lot about the whole Lennon McCartney thing. Well, this is Mark Strawberry Field. Because <laughs> I had nothing to do with this other than the guitar part. You know, this... Uh, I love speaking it. of the guitar part... I love it. This so is jangly. a very... This the is guitar a very, part's very good. You can tell Tony digs this oh, guitar yeah, right jangly away. as hell. I, I don't know it. why it's not 12 strings. But Tony. <laughs> but, it's, it's just great. Uh, yeah, I... This <sighs> odd subject matter for a, a song, but... It, Which it, I love. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I, God never... for odd, odd subject matter, and yeah. and they do that a lot. They do. They, they do. They are outside of the pre-approved, um, and then they get that. This is where that uh, Neil Young uh, kind of yeah. uh, distorted yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Gibson with its yeah. with the whammy, whammy bar, bar going. Yeah. When Mark when Mark Olson left the band, Gary Lewis talks about how he was never much of a lyrics guy, but. He also says, I studied under the school of Mark Olson. So they've barely missed a beat when he left. I mean, Gary Lewis can write some good lyrics. But this is, yeah, this is, they always, Mark Olson always picked um, interesting things to sing about. Uh, singing about his girlfriend, but he does it in an interesting way. This is, it's not apparent at all this is about his girlfriend. No. Yeah. And I love the, I mean, it's kind of, it's cool the way he describes what, the guitar does 
You know, the I mean, that's what the song's about. It's about well, what, it's about seeing it. He's yeah. not telling you the story. Right. He's letting you see the story, yes. which is what all good writers right. do. No, I agree. It's a great song. I really, I really like this one. This was one of my least favorite songs on the album. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, that sound you're going to hear at the end of this podcast is me and Doug beating JM over the head with our <laughs> microphones. <laughs> I, I don't think JM's forgotten about Saturday and that beating we got from a basketball school. <laughs> Actually, I listened to. The, I, I disliked this song before the beating. Um, yeah. All right, moving on to song number four, side one, Two Hearts. I'll survive, it's true. But when I get close to June, all right, okay, it's just two hearts that make us pain. I love this song. This song to me sounds timeless. Sounds like a time. It's just a timeless song. Do we really need another song about hearts, particularly two hearts? I mean, what are you, are you throwing you two into the mix here? I just, I'm. It's just another. It's just so cliche. It's just another song about hearts. Well, and don't love. start listening to Spanish music. <laughs> all over the place and, and triste um this is pretty much my anti-song uh it's, it's pleasant but to me it's syrupy uh okay i like the baritone guitar solo in it but it, it really doesn't help lift this song very much um the chorus is good it does help bring it out of the muck but i'm just every i i I would hear the song and I would just be like, oh, do we really? The subject matter is just tired. What's the subject matter? Two hearts. It's just like. Read the, read the line. It's two hearts that make us pay. Is that the typical take on two hearts? I guess not, but I don't know. The whole song just sounds syrupy to me. It, it, it's just. I don't not, know. It's not, it sounds to me like stuff that was kind of. I mean, it's not breaking new ground. It sounds very similar to other stuff that was coming out around this time. It reminds me of something Chris Isaac would have sung, which I don't hate. Um, but Chris Isaac, the way that he, the emptiness in his, in his songs, or just this song to me is just filled with just everything is cliche to me. The the, the piano parts, every almost all. Other than the baritone guitar solo is the only... The rest of it, to me, is just... Did something happen at work today, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's mad about the way I felt about the John Cale album. <laughs> so. the, uh, I, I hate to stop criticizing people for no reason, but the... Uh, the Two guys singing together that we talked about yeah. earlier. This this is a bit of their highlight, I think. Um, there's what enough, I said, that, there's that, enough that, instruments cleared out where you can really yeah. hear how and well they do together. That is a highlight. That is very much a highlight. That's that's one thing I will say about this song that does, like I said, brings it out of the muck. But and I don't hate love, so yeah. <laughs> now we'll find out. Jam hates light. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Actually, okay. <laughs> Song number five, Real Light. My real light shining. 
this is to me one of the highlights of well, the it's the album. first rocky song on the yeah. album uh, that's the, for sure it's just got some nice tight drums uh i love the dirty guitar well throughout it's, it's it. It, this song sounds to me like it when the birds would get kind of garagey yeah you know that's what this sounds like to me this is but a garage i think it song. even surpasses the birds on this kind of stuff and it, it, that i love the solo on this this may be the best solo on well the whole and, and and not to beat a dead horse but the two of them the vocals on it are fantastic yeah as well. oh my god they're incredible yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I like that they do have a sweet sound and they're playing a hard song and they don't try to pretend like they don't have a sweet sound while they sing this. Yeah. They let the, they let the guitar and drums do the harsh, but they still have, but it's still, even then, even their harmony is just, it's a little tighter or something. It's not, they're not trying to make it pretty at all. It's, there is just something sort of discordant about this whole song that I like. Um, it's it's a good song, and and this is this is one of the songs um, that uh, that Karen Grotberg or Grotberg, every surname, is singing, yeah. singing as well, and it adds it adds just the, another layer to the vocals. Yeah, and she uh, during those that break, there's a part where it's just vocals where the instruments are ringing out, and she she does a great job adding some harmonies here. I think. Uh, it would be interesting to hear Tom Petty do this song. I, it seems like it's very close to something he yeah. would. Well, he they would did do tour. It, they did tour with the Heartbreakers after this album came I out. I can I can yeah. hear the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers doing this without any yeah. use of imagination whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. All right. So song number six, "Over My Shoulder." You hate this song too, Jam? Don't hate it. It's got some nice piano work on it. I think this song is where Mark Olson really shines. I I think it's I think it's great. I love how the fiddle is in. I'm going to call it a fiddle. Is in one channel, and the acoustic guitar is in the other. And then the piano kicks in, and then right before the second verse, the- that lead guitar maybe it's right before the first verse the guitar kicks in yeah. and it's just got the whole song's like one big crescendo yeah you know yeah um, well, it's 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 like somebody building something with legos yeah you know, here's this here it starts yeah. with the fiddle yeah and they just start adding things yeah and and it works wonderfully see I, when I, the drums come in yeah he does something a little unexpected that's a very pleasant yeah. but not showy yeah so one of the things i my mind kept going to the Eagles. They do the Eagles better than the Eagles. And this to me was a song that the Eagles could have done, but they didn't have the imagination to do it. It's a, it's a nice ballad in it, in it, but it just, again, it's a ballad and I just got kind of bored with it. I, um, I think it's great. Um, I want to dance to it with, I want to dance with a pretty girl to this. Yeah, one. <laughs> I think it's, and there's a Texas connection. The lady playing the fiddle on it, Tammy Rogers, was raised in Irving. Is that right? Yeah, she was a. Uh, That's between the Twin Cities. It is between the t- Twin Cities. Yeah, the she was. Uh, she was like a four-time. 
involved in the four times state orchestra or something like that. I think she's the only person that's ever been on it all four years in high school, but um, yeah, she plays, uh, she plays fiddle on it. I, I think you protest too much, Jam. I, I will. I will say something that's. Gonna I stop. think Jam tried out for this band and got rejected. Yeah. That's what I think. I, I, I will say there's something. <laughs> uh, this is going to sound odd, but as a Rush fan, I love the guitar on this because it's really the only song on the album you can play air guitar to. <laughs> <laughs> air guitar to a ballad. Yeah, <laughs> but it's got. I mean, the guitar that that I don't know. I, I don't want to imitate it with my mouth, but it's. Uh, it's such a little cool guitar lead. Oh, I just I think it's great. <laughs> I don't know. This is we'll let the people decide and they can comment on it at yeah. tappingvinyl.com. <laughs> um all right. Moving on to song number seven, Bad Time. I didn't realize this was a cover until tonight. Are you sure you want to admit that? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 just, we lost all credibility lost with all the entire world. Yeah. I mean, this was the, this reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100 <laughs> in 1975, Jam. I know. And this, I, is I, a, I, this is the song Bad Time, which is a grand funk Yes, song. I was not really into grand funk when I was eight years old. but uh, And I was more into uh barry manilow and all that kind of stuff well i i shared this video with you guys earlier but there's this great simpsons episode where homer talks about grand funk and he (laughs) says he's carpooling a bunch of kids and they're playing grand funk railroad and they don't know who it is so he's appalled and he says and i'm quoting here nobody knows the band grand funk the wild shirtless lyrics of mark farner (laughs) the bong rattling bass of mel shocker the competent drum work of don brewer <laughs> pretty much sum, yeah. sums up uh, grand funk this is a great song it was a great song when grand funk did it it was a great it's a it great, is a great and song. i've been um how many times? i've been i've been torn up trying to decide who wins but um i i think i'm gonna have to give it to uh jayhawks uh i i think they did I think they did a better job of it. If if I had listened to it for the rest of my life and only could choose one, it would be the Jayhawk well, version. I, it's so, um, I, I guess there's some kind of honesty or something going on with this song. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, another band I love, um, Material Issue, also covered this song, which is strange. Both bands covered it around the same time. I don't know which one came first, but it's odd. Uh, Material Issue is a Chicago band, both Midwestern bands. Material Issue is a power pop band. Jayhawks are an all-country band, but both covering Grand Funk. <laughs> and, and yes, JM, covering Grand, Grand Funk. Yes. Uh, it is, and I, we, we were talking about this before the podcast, but um, this sounds like parts of it sound like My Sweet Lord by George Harrison, which yeah. I guess... Was ripped know, off. Ripped, ripped off uh, Oh Happy Day and uh, He's So Fine. Is that the yeah, one? He's got? So fine. Yeah, So I guess they're in good company. Um, this actually was a minor hit in the UK for the Jayhawks. It, reached, right? it reached number 70. It's the only time they ever charted across the pond, as they say. Um, I do think this song marks a point in the album where things change a bit 
while I love this album, I really love everything after this song. It's almost mm-hmm. like it's a point where they, I mean, if there was a natural break in the album, this might be it. Um, cause I think everything after this is really, really high end. Is it, is, is that, uh, Karen, the piano player singing in the background? No, that is Shirlene Eugene Pitieri, yeah. who is the lead singer of the band Texas. All oh, right yeah, there. they're from Ireland, weren't they? Uh, I don't know. I think so. I think they were. I well, think they she were does a, a fine job. A band um, from Ireland called Texas, yes. One thing I think uh, I can say with really great confidence is if you tell everybody that this song is called Bad Time, mm-hmm. they will not know what song you're talking about. <laughs> but the second they hear it, they're going to say, oh, yeah. Except unless they're jam. Yeah. All right. Song number eight. See him on the street. This time away from his wife's soft bed would help to say Understand. So, case in point, I think I think this is better than anything that came. And that's not saying a whole lot, because I do love what came before Bad Time, but I think this is better than anything that came before it. This song, I hate doing these kind of comparisons, but this song sounds to me like it fell off of American Beauty. Yes, I hear that, but I hear that. I'm yeah. going to raise you. Uh-oh. I think it sounds... I think it's the most... Um, I'm, okay, I want to hear this. I'm curious because Graham I think... Graham Parsons Exactly, song that's what I've got in my nose. This is the most Graham Parsons sounding song on the album. I, I This is this fell off the International Submarine. You know, you know why I don't think that? Because there's another song I feel that way about. Oh. Yeah. Well, I may agree with you when we get to it, but when I heard this, I thought... <laughs> Wow. This is like they just took a page out of Grant. They just like, okay, let's just. I, I think and that's not an insult in case no, any of our no, I, don't, I, don't think, no. I don't think either American Beauty or Grant Parsons is an insult. No, <laughs> no if, if I ever got accused of sending like one of those albums, yeah. I, mean, I, couldn't I would be it. talking about it for months. So I'd, I'd, I'd listen to this song, I don't know how many times, but today I, was, I finally figured, I think part of it is the pedal steel. On yeah. It. Yeah. Um, I think that just it, it, that's just a lifting a page out of I guess who is uh, that's Sneaky Pete. Yeah, it's Sneaky Pete. Uh, like it's not it's Greg Leash. Uh, yeah, it's Sneaky Pete though on the uh, Grand Parsons yeah. stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's this was one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, it's it's irresistible. It is. It's it's yeah, yeah, it's great. Moving on to song number nine, nothing left to borrow. There was nothing left to borrow. There was nothing left to borrow. Where you follow, where you let, say you're using your head. Just to make them around with the fools. This is the second rocker on the, on the album. Um, and I'll say right off the bat, it's my favorite guitar. The guitar on this song I love. This, the, the start of this song is maybe my favorite part oh, of the whole album. I thought you were going to say something bad again. No, no, I, I love that. And that the way that it, it almost sounds like almost an Uncle Tupelo type yeah. beginning. I wish they had kind of stuck in that grunt, that, I don't want to say grungy, but that, that dirty sort of feel that they that they started this, off see, with here. This is this is the difference between me, a, uh, a diehard Beatles fan who loves music, and you, a Rolling Stones <laughs> fan who hates the Beatles. <laughs> 
So. I don't hate. Oh, that's right. You just said they destroyed rock and roll. Yeah, I said they destroyed. You know the thing that I dig about this uh, song is neither neither one of you have touched on it. It's the chorus with that piano yeah. helping it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talking well, it, about yeah. nothing left to borrow. It's it's a classic. Um, it's a classic uh, sound there. And, well, it's, uh, it's a, that's that's one that got one of the ones that got inside of my head. This song on this album got into my head. Real light and this one got into my head more than the any rockers. Than any, yeah, the rockers got into my head more than any of the other songs on this it, album. It sounds like they build it up and then he lets go with. There's nothing left to borrow, and then that piano builds it up again, yeah, so he can yeah. say it again. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird chord progression, too. I mean, it's, if it had been real light and nothing left to borrow and see him on the street, I would have just, if that kind of, if they just stayed in that area, this would have been a five-star album for me. The gu- guitar gets let loose on this one yeah. Yeah, more than any of the other well, songs. And I, I think, think. and I think this is this is a type of song where Gary Lewis's vocals really shine. I mean, this is this is obviously yep. his song, right? But it's it's kind of a forebearer of things to come when Mark Olson leaves and they take that more that more kind of straight ahead kind of uh, poppy, you know, whatever. Um, and it they work it works really well on these upbeat songs. And I well, think Mark Olson's voice works really well on the more mellow kind of. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got that plaintive sort of. Yeah, plaintive uh, is a perfect word. Yeah. I'm not confident that there's a limit on how many times I could hear this guy say, nothing left to borrow. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so appealing to me. Mm-hmm. A highlight for me on this album. Yep. That's a highlight. So it's the opposite of the way I feel about every picture tells a story. Whereas <laughs> after about five of those, I'm good. I don't uh, need to hear I that another. Tired of that one I never. I love the song, but I don't need to hear him say it another fourteen I, times. I, he can sit there and read the menu from Denny's <laughs> to me. I can never get tired of his voice. <laughs> All right, number ten, and Jane. Supper will be at six fifteen. I'm going to steal Jam's thunder and say it's hard for me to listen to the song and not immediately want to boohoo <laughs> when it starts up. Uh, the the opening piano just gets me oh, every time. Oh, the piano part, yeah, that works. I, 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 it's hard for me to say this because I like this album so much, but this may be my favorite song on the album. I love the way they the guys sound together. I, I, I think the vocals, the harmony on it is really maybe the most acrobatic on the album um i i just i love everything about it i don't i i obviously <laughs> um it's like they're hallucinating about odd food pairings to me on this uh lyric wise um it starts off with that world that was i i like quite a bit and the, it's got a great harmony a, a really cool chord progression um <sighs> But it's like the lyrics are weird. Uh, it, the the rest of the song just doesn't uh, you hold hold me. Um, it's like it's about supper time, 
and like what they're making for dinner. But it's like they're trying to do a Tom Waits song and they don't pull it off. I take. Yeah, your takes are wrong. When I hear this, I think that if I were driving home from a party and I would find great comfort in listening to this song on my drive home. And I think I would probably keep hitting replay until I got home. It's just a sweet, nice yes, song. I agree with you, Doug. I with agree. An honest voice. Uh, there's, there's something honesty just keeps popping up over and over again as I listen to this record. Yeah, I think, I think you, I think you hit the nail there about it. Um, Where did I hit the nail though? I think uh, JM just is a dirty, rotten liar, and that's why he doesn't like honesty. <laughs> I, it's just I not think he's I, pissed off about that football game. <laughs> <laughs> and and my John Cale review. <laughs> I, I, I just I just think that the it, it just it misses the mark. And I you know I again I come to this band with a lot of prejudice, but I it, really it, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, I, I there's just there, there's so many better songs. I don't know. This song to me seems like there's something a lot more going on than singing about supper time. It sounds like that there's sure. Obviously, but it's just an, again, it's like the, the things that they talk about just don't. I don't. I, you know, one of the songs that came to my mind is "You're Missing" by uh, Springsteen on the Rising. Suits in the closet, shoes in the hall, mama's in the kitchen, baby and all. And there's a there's a some lines in there which don't you know taken out of context don't make any sense the rest of it's just not interesting enough for me to the music is not interesting enough for me to to hold my attention i i yeah i don't know if i can leave it on that i think it's a great song let's leave it on that <laughs> that note all right it's just my, not, just my favorite song on the album is all um it's kansas didn't beat us we lost. Okay, it's our fault. <laughs> All right, number eleven. Pray for me. One fine day I walked to town. No love like yours to be found. Out of days, out of days. I dig it. Me too. Uh, more head shaking. <laughs> it's just not an interesting song to me. Another oh another God. one where they just seem like, hey, let's just do a weird chord progression and see. Oh, I don't even know why the chord progression is weird. It sounds like a pretty standard. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not standard. What it, is what is weird about it? It starts off. Uh, it, it goes from a one, and then it it. I think the five becomes the one during the the verses and then it goes back the, the guys are pretty good at changing like switching around chord progressions but to me again it's just all right that's just but other than that the, the the execution of this song is just boring to me did you have did you eat eat today <laughs> you seem like I'm, you're hangry <laughs> no i'm serious it's like i've tried this the whole I've been listening to this album for two weeks, trying to find what the, the good. Listen, part. if I can find something I like in John Cale, right again to bring up I John Cale, I found plenty sure. of stuff to say good about this album. 
And That's it, why there's more than one of us, ladies and gentlemen. It makes it exciting. <laughs> We'd love to hear your comments at tappingvinyl.com. <laughs> anyway. All right. Ready to move on? Yeah. I guess I so. Mean, All right. Number 12, Red Song. This is a song I think sounds like the most Graham Parsons song to me. This is a song I feel right. fell off a of burritos, right. long lost burritos album. I, I don't disagree. I, can, I could hear Emmylou Harrison sing a background to this. Yeah. All right. I do like this song. And you know, you say Graham Parsons. I say it sounds like the band. Well, I could see that I, too. I don't have trouble with that. I could see that as well. And I am a huge band fan. So, um, that that guy, uh, the, the voice sounds like Richard Manuel. No one in the band. That sounds like Richard Manuel. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, they're, what, what's cool about this song is they're switching off. They're switching off, and it's another lines. band kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So they so it starts off with Mark Olson, and then it goes to Gary Lewis, and it goes to Mark Olson. I again. mean the the organ. Um, yeah. The organ sounds like Garth Hudson. The guitar solo sounds like Robbie Robertson. I mean, it, it's. I'll, I'll go along with it sounding like the band. I think that's pretty apt. Uh, yeah, and, and how everything clears out while yeah. the uh, I, the guitar player plays its little. Exactly. Lead I just the, feel. I just feel like this sort of does what the burritos are trying to do. It's country, but it's soulful as well. It's yep. like that 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 they, mashup they, of R and B and country. Um, there's some vocals showing up. Oh, yeah, there's here some vocals. Yeah, really oh, yeah. Dig. I like. I, yeah. like I love yeah. the vocals on this song. I, yeah. I, I, this is. It may be my favorite song. Yeah, well, it's, I, it's, I can't knock it. This, like I said, after after um, bad time, like every song is like, okay, this is my favorite. Oh no, the next yep. one's my favorite. Oh, well, yeah. the next one's my favorite. I'm not. I've disagreed with everything JM said tonight, except for my name, and uh, <laughs> I do. I do agree with. The comparison to the band that that is accurate i'm, I'm gonna go along with that all right the last song on the album are you happy jam yes 10 little kids I think this is a love it. I think this is a fun way to end this album. I I do like this uh, this song quite a I, bit. I I gotta admit that it's not just because I like the music, but I love people lifting up the sub the subject matter. The subject matter the is great. Bunch of kids. I I see a bunch of kids on their bikes. Yeah. Going, Going to this guy's house to get popsicles. Going to that guy's how, house to get a how, grilled cheese sandwich. Going over here to catch crawfish in the creek. How much yeah. fun does this band sound like they're having recording oh, yeah. this song? Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a 
Yeah, it's it's a great. They just sound like they're having the time of their lives in the studio, and I love how it starts off with that kind of real sweet. I know that sweet little thing. Yeah, that sweet little finger picking electric guitar. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, we're boys. (laughs) We're on our bikes. We're on adventures. We're gonna go break our arm in the swamp. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know it was that water. Is it watery up there? And what is this? Minnesota? Minnesota? Oh, yeah. They, it's totally they, water. They yeah, have water out there? Yeah. Canada? They have water in Minnesota? I don't know. <laughs> We're just trying to get some meat. I've emails. spent a lot of time That's in right. Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> many, I, I how, love how it goes totally Uncle Tupelo on this. I, this is the... Well, it's definitely more... It's definitely the most cowpunky song on the album. Yeah. Um, but I just... It's just... It, it, you want to talk about... I mean... It, it's <sighs> Rock bands don't usually cover this issue yeah uh, and that no. i mean i was yeah i remember is... i was at the gym a lot of y'all saw our pictures on the website <laughs> you, you're very aware well that I, I spent a lot of my time in the gym i was in the gym and this came on and i kept hitting replay replay yeah. replay yeah, it because is i love it's a love the subject matter so much this is yeah there's there's four songs on this album that i think are just absolute gold and this is this is one of them, and uh, I, I think this I, might be my favorite song. On I, I wouldn't knock it. It's it's it's, it's yeah. yeah. I, and I, that, I the that. piano coming, in. the piano part that, that on this is on the chorus. Oh, it is incredible! How yeah. that it, it's just that little. It's like a descant on the on the piano that she's doing. It, it, it's, I see what Tony's talking about. It's how they expanded with. Yeah, she's added so much. No, to she this. did. It it uh yeah, it's I um, would have disliked this album immensely had it not been for her. You didn't dislike it immensely? Neil, Neil Young comes in with his leads, except it's someone that plays someone guitar better guitar, than Neil yeah. Young. Yeah. A guy who learned it at twenty four or whatever. Really? You yeah. know? Yeah. Some of us are still working on it, Tony. <laughs> well, no, I am too. I keep, I can play yeah. three notes. I'm still working on the bass part. Little kids, I just love it, man. It, it's all about growing up in that neighborhood, and and well, yeah. sorry, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to fifty year old guys fantasizing about getting back on their bikes and going hanging out with their <laughs> their kids. big wheels. You're gonna build a thing to jump trash bags. <laughs> in my case, people. Oh, we get that little brother to lie down. We do that as well. Lie down in front of the ramp, (laughs) jump over him. Absolutely. (laughs) Whose turn is it this time? Don't sit up. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun, guy. That that last song in particular was a lot of fun. Um, We'll probably you'll probably overplay that one, and we'll end up getting sued on that by some band members. Descendants. Tony, we, we reached the last song, but uh, there's more to the story with this band. Well, Mark Olson left. Yeah. Mark Olson, whose band Gary Loris joined to form the Jayhawks, leaves um, for a couple of reasons. One is his, his girlfriend, as we mentioned, Victoria Williams had MS. He wanted to be able to help her out. The other reason was they're touring with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and he's disillusioned by two things. Number one... They're going out, playing their hearts out, opening act, and the crowd couldn't be more disinterested in what they're doing. And number two, he just sees this rock machine, these big semi-trucks moving along. He's like, I just want to play music. I don't want to be part of administrative things or whatever. 
So yeah, he quits the band, and he and his wife, girlfriend, future wife, move out to, of all places, Joshua Tree, California. <laughs> and they they move essentially right across the street from the motel that Grant Parsons died in. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's yeah. obviously somewhat obsessed. And they start making music in their in their house um, as the original harmony, original Harmony Creek Dippers. Yeah, and um, and I own a couple of those albums, and they're pretty, they're decent, but they're much more folk oriented, acoustic oriented mm-hmm. stuff, and very. Um, what was the term you used, Doug, for Mark Olson's voice, or was it you? Plaintive, plaintive, very plaintive. J.M. Mm-hmm. said, um, and then the Jayhawks, for all intents and purposes thought they were going to be done mm-hmm. gary loris gets the band going again and they record a couple of three albums uh one of them well the first one was called smile and it was an obvious departure because it was significantly more pop oriented and it was produced by bob ezrin oh i did not know that who, who produced the wall, the wall and, the, and, and various Final kiss Cut. albums yeah and kiss and uh blue reed yeah and berlin and then, oh yeah, he did do Berlin, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and then uh, the album after that, which is called Rainy Day Music, which is, in my opinion, a fantastic album. Uh, I, I'm partial to it because Steve Stephen McCarthy from the Long Riders plays guitar on it. Mm-hmm. But um, and this in the song, the the single off of it, "Save It for a Rainy Day," is just such a just a remarkable song. Anyway, long story short, Gary, Gary Loris and Mark Olson end up kind of getting back together. They put out an album with just the two of them. And then in 2011, the band gets back together. This lineup of the band gets back together and records an album called Mockingbird Time, which was a critical, critical success because it was the Jayhawks back to the Jayhawks. They end up breaking up again. He, Mark Olson ends up leaving. And unfortunately it seems like it's a David Gilmore, Roger Waters type of thing. The two of them, uh, probably won't ever work together again. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, that's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. Cause they, they, the, as we said, the, the whole is so much better than the parts. Um, there's, there's so many people scared that's going to happen to us someday. Um, well, after this <laughs> podcast, it might. I don't know if I can work with Jam again. Attitude. That hate. attitude of his. His hate. All right. So I guess we've reached a point in the podcast where we uh, give our ratings. Again, we give two ratings. One is our critic rating, which is cold and heartless, and what we would do if we were writing magazine articles. The other is our actual rating based on our feelings and how often we would actually listen to this album again. So, Doug, I'm going to start with you. Uh, my cold-hearted critic review, review would be a 4-2. Um, I, I don't have one thing to point to that caused me to shave off eight points from a five, but in, in my mind, a four two is an excellent album. Uh, my 
my uh, feelings. My, if I was looking at pictures of kitty cats on the <laughs> internet, I would give it probably a four four. Uh, it the lyrics are not spectacular. Uh, there's there's absolutely not one line on this album that I think um, st- stood out to me, but uh, the songs are just sweet and enjoyable, and uh, they they cap they captivated me very early, and uh, some of them really got me got me to the core, like that last one. All right, I'll go next. Um... As a cold, hard critic, I will give it a three-five. I do think that it, especially given the um, time that it was produced, um, I think it's it is an anomaly. Um, it does have a lot of pop sensibility about it. It 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 is accessible. Um, I mean, the, the, the tunes are catchy. You, you, you can't get, you can't get past that. And the, the musicianship is, is competent and there's nothing offensive that's being played myself. Um, I'm going to give it a three zero. And the reason why I would give it that is there are songs on this album that I like a lot. And I, I, like it better than any Jayhawks stuff that I'd heard before. I wish it were just a little bit more grungy. I find some of the lyrics too precious that they, they kind of like, if they had just made songs like 10 little kids or real light consistently on this, I, I would have, this would have been a five-star album for me, but the rest of it is just a little too disjointed and um, a little too conscious for my taste. All right, Tony. Well, I don't think I don't think Doug is wrong. I think <laughs> I think you wishing it was dirtier sounding or whatever is kind of missing the whole point. To be honest with you, but uh, I I can I can understand how somebody might feel like this album is kind of all over the place to a certain extent. I don't agree with it, but I get that. So, you know, I, I feel like Doug talking about Naomi loves because it's hard for me to to disassociate myself from that love to be a cold-hearted critic who rules the night. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I can see I can see s- some legitimacy for your critic who was dropped on his head as a child thinking that this album is disjointed or has some issues. So and I, there is the football game. I guess I would maybe give it as uh, I'd give a four or five as a critic. It's a five. This is this. Uh, here's the thing about this. I know I picked this album because it's an album I love. I forgot how much I love this album until I started listening to it. I did not get sick of listening. To, I, I have a feeling my next pick is going to be the same way as well. Um, when we get to it, but I, I, it was hard for me. I, like I said, I pulled up to Doug's house today and I was listening, I'm listening to my car. It, I did uh, not get you pulled up to the vinegar. Room I'm saloon. Sorry. I pulled up to the vinegar and <laughs> saloon today. And, uh, 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 I, I, 
yeah, I did not ever get tired of it. I looked forward to listening to this album every time I put it on. I love this album. I think it is, it shows growth for this band in a way. Uh, it's like I said, it is the, to me, it's the pinnacle of this band at their creative powers. Um, and that sounds so pretentious, but it's true. Uh, five, 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 five. <laughs> that, so, so, uh, critic gets four five and, uh, Tony gives Tony with his heart looking at pictures of kittens on the, uh, Pinterest Internet. gives him uh five. Yeah. yeah. All right. Tony. Well, thank you. That was a album from 1995. <laughs> that was an album. <laughs> Thanks uh, for the album, Tony. <laughs> so Tony, you're usually a little bit more. Doug and I are still stuck in the 70s and 80s. Well, yeah. Did I make it to the 80s? <laughs> well, it's, fun, it's funny because uh, I, I forgot to mention another reason I wanted to do this album was because I want to dra- drag Doug kicking and screaming into the 90s. <laughs> and show it's maybe the uh, latest album we've done yet. Uh, if yeah, if you don't count, uh, if you don't, no, I think Emmy Lee, Lou was, I think about Emmy this Lee time. was about this time, but if you don't count yeah. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I think you're oh, right. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, all right. So Tony, usually we, uh, at this time we ask for some recommendations and I understand that you have a recommendation for us. I do, JM. I have a recommendation. I would like to recommend an album by a Canadian band from vancouver called the grapes of wrath it's an album that they released in 2013 called high road um it was it it was sort of a reunion album of sorts for this band they were popular to the extent that they were in the late 80s early 90s they play they're they fall within the spectrum of power pop but it's more on the folky end of stuff Mm -hmm. um very very sweet harmonies reminded me this album reminded me of how much i love the grapes of wrath and this was their most recent effort called high road um it is uh it's great um it's not as great as some of the earlier stuff but it's still worth listening to and i don't think enough people listen to this album when it came out it's got this unbelievably beautiful song called take on the day acoustic song on it gorgeous the single on it i think was called good to see you go not to be confused with glad to see you go which is a ramon song <laughs> which is also great um it, yeah I, I if if you're you know if you're into good harmonies sweet vocals um don't mind the acoustic guitar here and there i'd uh, i'd dial this up and listen to it grapes of wrath high road all right tony thank you very much so that's it for our look at Tomorrow the Green Grass by the Jayhawks. Let us know what you think of the album on our website, tappingvinyl.com. You'll find all sorts of good stuff up there related to the albums we've looked at in past episodes, including links to all past episodes on This Is Vinyl Tap. You can also reach us via Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And you can visit our Facebook group. Next week, we'll be looking at a country music classic by the great Wailing Jennings, Honky Tonk Heroes. Long ago and far away, in my old common labor shoes, 
I'd turn the world all with you away Just because you asked me to Like unto no other fear For our host, Doug Cooper, love is our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble There's producer, no Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11 and reminding you Let the world call me a fool.